Welcome to Before the Business, a podcast dedicated to telling the origin stories of entrepreneurs. My name is Craig Swiston. Paul Barron is a career entrepreneur. He has started, managed, and sold several businesses across the United States. I had the privilege of speaking with him, discussing how and why, in his late 60s, he decided to become the founder and CEO of Wall Printing USA, an innovative technology that gives artists and advertisers the ability to print their creations on any vertical surface. Please join me in welcoming Paul Barron. Hi, Paul. Thanks for your time today. In preparing for today's conversation, I was doing some digging into your career as an entrepreneur. Man, it seems like you've got a lot to teach. <laughs> well, I've, I've had a lot to learn. So I've, 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 my path has not been a straight line. Um, and I, I swim as part of one of my two passion sports, uh, along with tennis. And whenever I look at and I do open water swimming, and when I look at the GPS record of my, my event, I see that I swam about one and a half to two times what I had to swim because I never go in a straight line between two points. So my, my professional journey has been very similar. I'm 71 years old, so I've got a lot of history behind me. I, I've had several dozen businesses that either I've supported, worked for as a hired gun, wearing sales, marketing, business development hats, and I've started many of my own businesses. What do you think drove you to become an entrepreneur in the first place? I mean, it's not something that's suitable for, for everyone. No, it isn't. Um, and and thank, thank God for that. Everybody needs people to fill different roles. Uh, for me, a lot happens from your parents. Um, your parents influence you one way or the other. For me, it was, it was very positive influences, but they were both of the mindset as many of their generation was um, through World War II and all that, that security, you know, working for the government or working for a company that could provide stability and a pension. Um, that was the way to go. But I, most children, I was rebellious and always looking for something other than that. And, uh, and so I was always looking for my own path. I, I was always willing to take a risk, I think because, and this isn't, maybe it is an ego statement, I'm not sure, but I, I always had a level of confidence in myself that if I could be where I wanted to be physically, living in a place where I wanted to live and being around people I wanted to be around, I could find a career path that would satisfy me. So you mentioned finding your own path, your own career path. Was there anybody in your life who mentored you or helped guide you? No, it's something I learned through experiences. Um, I mean, I, I did follow my parents' direction through college. And then I, my first job was a teaching job. And that teaching job led me in that path of security, pension, tenure, you know, civil service, that kind of thing. But I also put myself through college stringing tennis rackets for the athletic department. Um, and that was gave me my, my beer, gas, spending money. I made a career out of that. And I actually opened up a tennis shop uh, at the same time that I took my, uh, my teaching job. And I really loved business. I loved the relationships with the customers. Um, I liked even the vendor relationships. That took me away from teaching. And when I was offered the, the opportunity in my third year of teaching to get tenure from, my, from the high school uh, where I was employed, there, they had a caveat that they wanted to give me tenure because they thought I was a good teacher, uh, but they knew that my business interest was taking a lot of my attention. And so they gave me a choice, you know, give up the business track and go, and go make teaching your career or the other way around. And I went the other way around. Was that a hard decision for you to make at that age? It, it really wasn't. Um, I, I love teaching, but there were, there were enough aspects that I didn't like and there were enough aspects of the business world of my tennis shops, besides the, the level of success 
that I had achieved. I grew one shop to three shops, um, three sporting goods stores in the um, Hudson Valley, New York region where I was, um, upstate New York. And, uh, and so that, that really gave, gained my attention. So my tennis shops were doing very well. And then a, um, a business that my mother was the bookkeeper for a, um, a business owned by a family friend. He had a situation where he was looking to bring somebody on um, in his business. And he saw what I was doing with my tennis shops. And he said to my mother, would Paul be interested in coming to work for me? And she said, well, I have no idea what Paul will do or won't do. Um, but uh, I'll certainly ask him if he's interested. And he, he gave me the proverbial um, godfather offer uh, that I couldn't refuse. Um, again, in my early 20s, um, he asked me to take on this position in this jewelry manufacturing company. And, uh, and my partner was willing to buy me out of my interest in the tennis stores. So I did that because I thought that there was a different learning experience I could have from that. And I really thought that I brought my tennis shops as far as I really could for the interest I had in them. And so I pivoted that way by virtue of the external force that was set upon me. So from tennis to jewelry, and now you're in your late 60s, you're in your 70s now. Let's talk about the wall printer. Let's talk about your current business. How did you find it or how did maybe how did it find you? Okay, so we, we'll jump ahead a little bit and then it'll make more sense in, in, to answer this question. Fast forward through a series of businesses that I founded or worked for. Um, I found the areas that I did well and enjoyed the most. And those are the areas in the customer relationships, in building customer relationships, vendor relationships, strategic partnerships for companies, um, helping them identify high value customers um, to either grow sales or to reach some other type of target. And what happened was a foreign company who I had met, um, we went to the same trade show circuits. We became, I guess the expression is frenemies. And they, once again, like the guy in the jewelry business, made me an offer I couldn't refuse to come work for them. So I did. I, I switched and I, I worked, went to work for them. And it's a relationship that was 13 years direct, me working for them 100% of the time um, and, and always as a hired gun. But what happened during that 12, 13 years is I developed a following with other foreign companies of all sorts of products, consumer packaged good, an Austrian baby bottle company, an Australian self-service dog wash system, a Chinese headband headphone for children. I developed other relationships going around to trade shows uh, of being able to take a foreign company's products and help them find their high value customers in the United States. And so that's what I started doing. I started farming myself out as a commissioned hired gun for these companies. And, but all along, I, could, I didn't have control over the uh, development of those products, over the, um, over the marketing of those products. Um, and, and that's something I really enjoyed doing as well. And so I always wanted an equity stake in something. And it was never really made available to me. So how do you get from the, that experience working with others, working with foreign companies, to where you are today as the founder and CEO of The Wall Printer? I've retired several times over the years because now I'm talking to, I'm in my 60s, I'm 71 now. Um, but about four years ago, when I was in one of my retirement phases, which never lasts long um, because I just I can just swim and play tennis so much at my age, so I have to do something else. So work is it. And uh, so I'm always looking for something. So I was approached by a German company and um, that had a vertical printing machine, which is the ge generic name for this industry I'm in now. And it was a, a machine that printed a 
inkjet printer that printed digital art onto walls, indoors, outdoors, any wall surface. And I found it fascinating for many reasons. Number one, because I really dig technology. Number two, because I had never seen anything like it before. And I kind of think of myself as a fairly normal consumer. Um, it surprises me if there's something that is just totally new to me. And so they approached me and they asked me, they were coming into North America and they asked me if I would help them market into the United States. And I, I said, at that point, I'm not looking to be a commissioned salesperson, but I really am interested in your product, any opportunity for me to buy into your company. And so they did not make that available to me. So my conversation broke down with them and that was the end of it. But I walked away, said, that was a pretty cool machine. And so I say to my wife, I said, hey, honey, come take a look at this. Invariably, Craig, she doesn't come into my home office and look when I ask her to do something like that. Instead, she cuts up my credit cards and hides the bank account because she goes, here we go again. Paul's going to invest in something crazy. And so. So Paul doesn't listen to his wife and he doesn't listen to his parents. Yeah, you've summed that up very well. Uh, um, so, but she did come and look at it and she, too, said, boy, that's cool. Um, and the same thing that everybody says, never seen anything like it. And so she was supportive of me pursuing my uh, exploratory due diligence on this product. And what did that due diligence look like? I learned that there were a half a dozen companies, literally, um, actually, no, a handful, five companies in the world that made these products. There was the German company that approached me originally, two Chinese companies, an Australian company and an Indian company. And I kicked the tires of all of them trying to find out the differences. And I found out that one of the Chinese companies was the oldest one in the business. This technology has been around about 14 years, um, developed by this one Chinese company that was in the printing business. And they had the most advanced product, the widest range of features. And we developed a relationship and a very strong relationship. Took about a year in the making, um, but today um, I co-own three patents with them, which is very unusual for an American company to co-own patents with a Chinese company. Um, but it speaks to the relationship we've had in terms of the development support I've been giving their product to improve upon it and to, um, to make it uh, marketable and, and, and beneficial to the audiences I was looking after. So who would that audience be then? We're not a franchise. We do offer exclusive territories because when people want to do this, they invariably will be the first ones in their areas to do this because the product didn't exist until I brought it here three years ago. Um, in the past three years, um, we are the only company to have American base um, to deliver training, support the products, uh, manufacturing. Uh, we manufacture our own inks. We manufacture a lot of the components for the machines. And we've grown to about 100 customers, meaning businesses we put into people we put into business or existing businesses like maybe painters or general contractors or artists that have used our machines and taken them on as an add-on to their existing business and just startups. So I don't mean to oversimplify it, but essentially the wall printer is a giant inkjet printer that can print on any interior or exterior vertical surface, correct? Your simplification is right on. What you do with all machines, you do need to babysit the machine to make sure it prints right and it's not running out of ink um, and that nobody bangs into the machine. Basically a babysitter from the time that you've imported the digital image you want to print and you hit the print button. Um, it basically does go by itself and, and you can stop the print unlike a desktop printer where if you get a paper jam or something and you go away and you have to start from the beginning again, these do have a continuation feature that you can go to the bathroom or get a power outage and pick up right where you left off. But the technology, as I understand it, is sophisticated enough to deal with 
different textures, different uh, curvatures. Yeah, so we don't have the benefit of video in this conversation, but certainly somebody can go to our website, thewallprinter.com, and it would take about 15 seconds to understand what the machine does, as you've correctly described. But as far as textures go, the machine will print on any vertical surface. It does not have to be a smooth surface. So if we had video, you would see in my office here, there's a print five foot by eight foot on a cinder block concrete wall. And it's a, it's a beautiful um, image of a window that opens up into mountains and a pond. And it was painted in two hours, uh, five feet by eight feet, 40 square feet. It would probably take an artist two days to do this. Um, but it took our machine two hours, uses about $10 to $15 worth of ink. Um, and then of course the labor costs. Um, but you don't have to print direct to wall either. You can print to vinyl or metal or tile or glass or poster board or something. Uh, so you can use the machines and as long as you can put the substrate or item up against a wall, you can print on it. And then a lot of our customers actually do that. They print on canvas or they print on something else and then, and then apply it. But it is designed ideally. And the unique aspect of it is that the machine goes to the wall, indoors, outdoors, any size at all, and will print on it. So when you found the technology, what inspired you to, to build a business and work with obviously your partners in China around this proposition? I kind of go with what, what strikes me. And sometimes it's from a revenue perspective, but ultimately it's, and maybe it occurred uh, and my path was, was driven by the relationships I formed with potential partners, customers, vendors, whatever. Uh, but ultimately, uh, ultimately I am a business person in that I do want the business to be successful on a financial level as well as an emotional level. And so what that means to me is you must have a product or a service that solves a problem. Um, it, it can't be just something that, as you, you, you accurately describe, was just like a whim or something that I saw that interested me. Um, I, I do dig a little bit deeper into it once I see something interesting to determine, is this a viable business, not only for me, but for others, perhaps? And does it offer value to the end user customer? Paul, what do you say to that potential entrepreneur who maybe is experienced a little later in life that wants to start a business, but really doesn't really know where to start or how to get going? It has to be the passion that you bring to the party. Is it really a solution to a problem that exists? That guy in his 60s or even um, the gal in her 20s um, or the school teacher or whatever, but they really don't know what to do or what's needed. Most cities and states have resources that are either government or locally funded um, that are places that you can go. Um, to find out, you know, do you need legal advice? Do you need accounting advice? Do you need marketing advice? Um, you know, do you need people to do these kinds of things? That's a way for somebody in their 30s, 40s, 50s, 60s, or 70s, you know, who has an idea to test that idea, to bounce it off other people who have been there, done that. Paul, thank you so much for sharing not only the story of the wall printer, but of your own personal entrepreneurial journey. If you like listening to the origin stories of entrepreneurs, please continue to rate, review, and share the podcast with your family and friends. For more origin stories, check out the full collection at beforethebusiness.com.